Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free at thejazzsession.com. You can play them right there or you can download them. You can also subscribe to the show in iTunes, if you like, and uh, the links to do that and the links to follow the show with an RSS reader or on Facebook or on Twitter are all available for you at thejazzsession.com. If you just scroll down a bit on the left-hand side, you'll see iTunes, RSS, and social media, and all the links are right there. My thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this program. They're online at respectsextet.com. Please buy their records. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the show's logo, and he tweets at twitter.com slash Dave Vrabel, V-R-A-B-E-L, and he's really funny, so I recommend you follow him. This is show number 277, and that means there are 23 shows until show number 300, that also means that there are 23 shows left in which to get 64 more members, or else uh, we're going to roll up the tent on this thing, I think. I'd like to thank two recent members, Ken Smoker and Robert Lieberman, who both became members within the last few days. Thank you both very much for supporting the show. It is super easy to become a member, and in fact, it's incredibly cheap as well, for as little as $10 a month, $10 for the entire month. You can become a member at thejazzsession.com, and your membership goes directly to keeping this show going. That, that is where it goes to. Uh, you also, if you become a yearly member for $110 a year, uh, there's some free CDs in it for you. And on up from there, there are membership levels, and I really do hope that you will join. Thanks very much. I know that some of you have heard me say this now dozens and dozens of times, but only 36 of you have the right to be annoyed that you keep hearing it. This is another in the Cooker's Monday series. I think this is the fifth show in that series. Uh, we've had Eddie Henderson on the show. Cecil McBee has been on the show. George Cables. Billy Harper. Coming up next week is Craig Handy. And the week after that is Billy Hart. And that's the whole band with the inclusion of today's guest, David Weiss. And he's the guy who put the Cookers together. David was on the show Last year or maybe the year before, talking about one of his own records, and uh, he's on today talking about the Cookers. Now, of course, with these Cookers Mondays, I have been giving away a copy of the Cookers' new CD, Cast the First Stone, and the copy of the record is signed by all the members of the band. So that's a pretty cool item to have, and you can have a copy if you are the first person to send an email to contest at thejazzsession.com. That's contest at thejazzsession.com with Cookers in the subject line. Good luck. And here is some music from the Cookers, followed by David Weiss.
guest is David Weiss, and uh, he's here as part of the, the Cooker's Mondays series. Welcome back to the Jazz Session. Oh, thanks, Jason. So, uh, of course, you're the man behind all of these other interviews, which have been running every Monday now for uh, about a month and have a few more weeks left. Uh, will you talk about what the, the inspiration for putting this band together was? Um, well, it sort of started as a completely different thing entirely. <laughs> um, I don't remember the timeline exactly, but maybe in 2002, 2003, um, a club owner in Brooklyn approached me about doing a Night of the Cookers celebration. Uh, apparently, as a child, he saw the Night of the Cookers concert. He's from Brooklyn. He owned a jazz, you know, got him into jazz, and he always loved jazz. And just and tell people what the Night of the Cookers concert was. Oh, so for, oh, sorry. It's a Blue Note recording that Freddie Hubbard and Lee Morgan made together. Um, in Brooklyn with James Spaulding and Harold Mayburn and Larry Ridley and Pete LaRocca and Big Black. Um, there's two records on Blue Note. And there should be more tapes somewhere, but nobody knows. Because it's four <laughs> tunes. they got to play more than four tunes right. in one night. Um, that's one of the mysteries. But um, he always wanted to put together like a Freddie Hubbard. And it was around Freddie Hubbard's birthday as well when this thing originally happened. Okay. So guy always wanted to put together like a Freddie Hubbard birthday celebration, night of the cookers reunion kind of thing. Except it was a small club, maybe beyond his means or capabilities. And I think maybe he tried to get Freddie to MC one year. Or, but whatever reason, finally one year we were able to get most of the guys together. We got James Spaulding and Pete LaRocca and Larry Ridley. And I don't think Harold Mayburn can make it. So then we just called a few more Freddie Hubbard alumni instead, Ronnie Matthews and um, um, Keanu Zawadi, who both play with a lot of the classic Blue Note Freddie records. And we put on a concert at this club in Brooklyn for a weekend called The Night of the Cookers and blah, blah, blah. Pete LaRocca and James Paulding played so great. I mean, they still had all that energy and fire, and they played great. I was like, all right, maybe I could try to make this something. And about what year are we talking about that you did I this? I think, <laughs> I think, uh, 2002, 2003. Okay. Um, sometime after that, we started doing a few concerts um, like that, just calling it Night of the Cookers, building a band around La Roca and Spalding. Sure. Um, getting a second trumpet player, either Eddie Henderson or Jeremy Pelt. Um, putting Craig Handy on it sometimes. Eventually, George Cables came into it. So, and we did, a, you know, did a couple of clubs in New York, did a couple of festivals, and then I started, like, okay, I mean, you know, Lee Morgan and Freddie Hubbard, they're great, and they made great music, but if this is really going to be a band, and, you know, original music maybe, you know, a different concept, so I had this idea of in sort of slowly integrating Charles Tolliver and Billy Harper into it. I've been doing the Charles Tolliver big band, um... And also met Billy Harper in there, and they both were great writers. So I thought, all right, man, we'll slowly we can change this into just to a band that does originals. <laughs> New York. Yeah. Um, so eventually, it kind of came around sometime in 2006. I think we did something at the Jazz Standard with the front line. I wanted James Spaulding, Billy Harper, me, and Charles Tolliver. And Cecil McBee was on that one. But through very various happenstance or availability or desire or whatever, um, Spalding and LaRocca actually wound up kind of dropping out of this thing. Um, and then Tolliver kind of dropped out of it because he wanted to focus on the big band. And by then we had bought Billy Hart in anyway. And um, it became more about... I mean, the first gig was all about Billy Harper and Charles Tolliver compositions with maybe a few other tunes sprinkled in. And then, I guess George Cables worked his way in. So then I started looking at George Cables and Cecil McBee's tunes and picked a few of those and a few Billy Harper tunes. And then, actually, around this time in 2007, we're actually going back to this festival this year in the Healdsburg Jazz Festival. Okay. This personnel did its first concert. And we've been going since we've been touring pretty regularly. And now we have two CDs out. And it's been essentially the same personnel since then so just about four years now yeah one thing we've been talking about in uh, the interviews with the other guys uh, is the idea that the the band has gone from this kind of all-star collection to being an actual band a band with a personality and identity Do you yeah know? i mean it's a few reasons i mean i always had it in mind to 
do it as a band. I mean, I've been called to do a lot of tribute type things or concept kind of things. But if they have, to, if they're going to have legs, they need to turn into a band. Sure. Because there's just no reason otherwise. And um, I mean, I kind of grew up with that kind of concept. I'm a rock and roll kid. It was all bands: Aerosmith, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, and even when moving to like more, you know, progressive bands, King Crimson, General John, they were all bands. So. I never lost that understanding. I always thought I needed to have a band. I never thought, like, I'm David Weiss. I play trumpet. You know, let the world follow me. And uh, right. whatever's behind me <laughs> is great or whatever. But even, you know, the individually driven jazz things, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, they were bands. You know, so, I mean, I always had that in mind. And these guys all came up with that. They came to New York, and they were in bands, and they had their own bands. I mean, Billy Harper was with Art Blakey. But he was with Max Roach. You know, Lee Morgan, he was in bands. So they have those instincts. And, it, you know, that's what they're trying to bring to it. So, I mean, everybody seems to have the same idea in mind. They all take pride of it as being a band. They, I mean, it's kind of great to get everybody on the same page. I mean, you know, certainly they have their own bands and they have other things to do. But, you know, they approach this thing like that. You know, the material's been developed now and chosen for this. And, you know, it's a real band by guys who are used to doing that but when they talked about a band they were talking about you know doing four sets a night for six weeks in a row with a band you right know? it's a little different now but again they they came up in that that's what they're used to it's a language they understand like i have this band i want you to be in this band you know it it, it has a little extra weight with those guys because they mean it sure you know billy hart more than once has said to me like you know i just don't play in any release band you know and that meaning like i'm you know i'll play a lot of gigs but i'm not in a lot of people's bands right you know so i mean but they look at it that way so i mean i have to bring something to the table too i gotta give them something that's going to make them feel like this is worth doing you know it makes them look good and comfortable and you know so but i got that kind of experience doing these kind of silly tribute things because you always want to find a way to make it a appealing to them and also in their wheelhouse so they're comfortable doing what they do so this is just an extension of that, sort of. Did it seem like it might be a bit of a logistical nightmare when you said, I think let's make an actual band and let's put in it like six or seven of the busiest people in the business? Well, see, now if you think that way... Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess it wouldn't have existed, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I've been called stubborn before. I mean, it, it's, it doesn't... You know, obviously those are hurdles and it comes up sometimes. But again, people are are dedicated to this thing you you know you block out a certain amount of time a certain amount of time in advance and say okay guys here you know and the rest we try to do i mean with all my bands and some of it has killed my bands some of my my own personal bands and younger bands is that if certain guys can't make the gig after a while i just i just don't even want to do the gig you know that's not very good financially for me and not very good with clubs if i'm telling a club who's nice enough to asked me to do a gig out of the five million people out here like oh, i don't really can't do that night because my drummer can't play and they look at you like you're insane and they're you know they're probably right but you know it gets that way with certain bands with certain material certain music you know these guys can play it you know and that's that's what it is and it's sort of like that with the cookers too i mean we certainly we've had a few subs over the years every once in a while but i mean you know we try to put forward a unified you know here we are we're the cookers sure this is what we do <laughs> This is why it works so well. And it really is a difference. We could bring in anybody into that band. It could be the best musician in the world, and it'll, still, it'll be a great concert, but it's still a little something. So, I mean, there's a rapport, definitely, now.
you feel like you develop a shared vocabulary over time, too? Um, well, it's already there with those guys. Sure. You know, me and Craig Handy, I mean, we came up listening to that. We weren't, we caught the tail end of some of that, enough of it, where we feel we need to seek it out. Right. Um, I mean, there's a lot going on in music today. Um, there's a lot of great things going on in music today. But ultimately, no matter what path I take, part of that path is I need to play with the best musicians I could possibly get next to. Sure. And I don't care what anybody says, I know who they are, you know. I mean, for whatever training, listening ears, instincts, whatever, I think I know who the best musicians walking the planet are, and I'm going to try and get next to as many of them as I can before they die. Now, that's only one part of my thing, but it's not everything, but it's, you know, half, at least. I mean, I have my own bands with my own young guys trying to do my own thing. But while these people are around, I mean, geez, I mean, they were part of something that we'll never touch. You know, that's not living in the past. That's just acknowledging that there was a heyday for this music that was light years ahead of what's happening now. And, and you're an idiot not to at least want to get next to that a little bit or find a, a way to get yourself next to it in a way that works for them as well. You know, I've, it's not the first time I've done it. This might be the most successful thing I've done, but, you know, I also did eight years with Freddie Hubbard, you know, work with Charles Tolliver getting his big band back together. I mean, I have an interest in that stuff. It may be partially fandom or started that way, but also part of it is, like somebody like Charles Tolliver, I just listened to those big band records one day. And was, I mean, I listened to them in college, and it was like, it blew me away. And just on a slow day here, you know, it's eight years ago, nine years ago, I was like, well, what am I going to do next? What what position could I put myself that's going to challenge me the hardest today outside of what I can do myself? Right. And I said, oh, Charles Tolliver, big band. Let me call him up and see if he'd actually do this. You know, so, I mean, like I said, it's a, a double-edged thing. You know, part of me just wants to play my own original music with my own bands, but part of me is just like, man, I just get next to these guys and, I mean, you know. You know, part of it, I guess I think I'll live forever, so I'll always have a chance to get to that. So let me deal with this While it's as here. well. Yeah, because it is here. I mean, these guys, and, and it's weird because I found this with all these guys, right? Excuse me, even in his lesser state, let's say. And these guys, I don't see young guys coming. I don't. See, it's not like 20 tenor players coming to Billy Harper, see Billy Harper. And they should. They'll get scared. You know, they need that. And, they, you know... <laughs> And they don't do it. You know, Freddie Hubbard, even 10% of Freddie Hubbard or 40% of Freddie Hubbard, which is what he was most of the time we saw him. I mean, any trumpet player on earth should see that. If, they, you know, they're lucky enough to see Freddie Hubbard alive. And he, I just didn't see a lot of that. In some ways, that could be a good thing. I mean, I'm starting to see, when I came to New York, that stuff was a little closer to us. You know, the records that we lived and died for in college were... 20 years old not 40 years old right um, and enough of those guys were around maybe or something that when we came to New York Art Blakey was still here Horace Silver was still here these guys were still like right there for us so it was part of our goals to like deal with that sure or get next to that um, and now it doesn't seem like many people have that desire and if they do they're just very straight ahead players it's like there's a greater divide between like the creative, more probing, and and the guys who are trying to play in this harmony swing bass music, who are kind of put in a box like okay, the, you know. So both sides kind of drive me crazy. The best music always kind of lived in the middle, and that's where the cookers are. I mean, it's sort of finding a freedom within you know, harmony and form and all this other stuff, but finding a freedom within that that is what these guys exemplify, which to me is the ultimate goal I think right not the far left to the far right um, but it's interesting because like the young, a lot of young guys I see today are like almost trying to completely divorce themselves from all that and it's interesting to see but it's that's a huge risk I mean not risk I don't know what the word would be I mean you have to be really special to like completely divorce yourself from most of what's gone on in this music and come up with something unique enough that's going to, you know, A, be palatable to people, which maybe not is not important. But, I mean, this is music we're trying to <laughs> reach people. And, B, you're, you have that compelling of a personality and a sound that, you know, you can do that. And I, I'd say it's like one in a million. And yet we have, like, thousands of these, you know, so... 
it's going to be interesting to see. It's interesting to hear you say that, though, because a few minutes ago um, you said this music had kind of an untouchable heyday, which I guess begs the question, well, why, why continue to speak in that language? Because it's still very exciting music of the moment. That hasn't gone away. The, the, the process of creating it and, and what you can do with it, that's still there. Now, if anybody's going to, you know, tell me that somebody's going to do it, like, on the level of John Coltrane, I'm going to be like, mm, well, maybe, you know, but I don't see it. I haven't seen it in, what, since then. So, I mean, I can acknowledge that. It's not going to affect my day-to-day. It might affect how I approach certain things, because that music had a certain impact, and you're trying to find a way to have that same impact, but you're not John Coltrane. You know, so, I mean, that was sort of the backhanded compliment of my octet when I first put it together, was, okay, if I have five horns and all this writing, I can create a context that will make these soloists sound more powerful. Like, I can't, you know, I don't have John Coltrane playing for 20 minutes, but I have more horns, you know, a bigger band, bigger sound, something that's going to, you know, hit it a little, you know. So it's sort of trying to find different ways to get to that. And that's possible. And live music is still pretty exciting. You yeah. Know? I mean, you know, it, I'm not admitting defeat. I'm just saying <laughs> there was a time we could do that with classical music. You know, hey, you know, yeah, who's better than Beethoven? Hey. But, you know, classical music still keeps going. And music still keeps going. I mean, it's not. But classical music has an intrinsic difference, which is that it is repertory music that's performed in yeah, but identical <laughs> ways. I mean, there are certainly virtuoso soloists and that kind of thing, but they're generally performing repertory music, yeah. which is what a lot of. But it, when in that left-right description you gave a minute ago that's about jazz the jazz and Lincoln world, Center. exactly that's one side of that. But jazz and Lincoln Center, well, without getting in too much trouble, <laughs> it doesn't have to be that. Like, okay, it works and it has a purpose, but maybe that's not the be end end all of repertory. But I, mean, I guess I'm essentially my question doing is, repertory. why would you not? Uh, I'm just I'm mostly playing devil's advocate yeah, to get you to answer these questions. Um, <laughs> Why? Why would a young musician entering the scene today not say, "Well, I, I'm not going to touch John Coltrane or Miles Davis yeah. or Dexter Gordon or Sonny Rollins or whoever else"? So the only rational course for me to take is to try to be one of those one in a million who creates something new, yeah. rather than be reflected as a pale shadow of the masters who went before. Because what's the point of that? Because I mean, technically, that philosophy has always been here to a point. Um, I could pull out a tape of Freddie Hubbard now from when he's 18 where he sounds note for note Clifford Brown and two years later that's completely gone you know um, so with that in mind listening to those guys and absorbing what those guys do can be a trap but it also could be a means to an end and um, I mean that's why I like the cookers so much because they show me that it's a means to an end and not a trap they're playing like it's free open music every night there's no restrictions no anything no I mean it's it's free it's within a harmonic you know f- you know swinging form for the most part or at least a modal vibe you know I mean it's it's music of a time you know but it they play it like it's fresh every day then they're, they're not repeating themselves they're not looking at it they it is what they do and they bring it to the table like that every night and I just feel free and you know it's a different kind of um, it's just a different kind of feeling you know I, I could also go play you know in a total bebop style with Barry Harris and you know I've, I've absorbed that I don't do that anymore but I've learned all that you know and I could have been stuck there there's a lot of great players who play in that style who play with some excitement Eric Alexander Grant Stewart they're great players but they're certainly locked into a certain thing but couldn't they're you just argue that me. music like the cookers is just stuck 10 years later um. Yeah, but that's that's the I, interesting. I mean, just in terms of no, vocabulary, no, no. vocabulary maybe, but no, because there's you know. But everybody's stuck. I mean, even the guys who are trying to wipe the slate clean, you can. There's ties. I mean, everything is old at this point. There's a Stanley. My favorite Stanley Kubrick quote is: "Everything's been done before. Our job is just to do it better." You know, it's just. But you, but get, then how does that dovetail against the? heyday thing if, if, if it is because you still strive for that, that. you still strive for that i mean you but know, it sounds like you strive with the realization that it is untouchable that, it, that well, you it's can't un- untouchable in that way like i said through through these kind of bands 
you know, banding together seven guys, you know, again, or my octet or whatever. I mean, I'm trying to find solutions to that. There's sure. other solutions. That's not the BN end all. It's one BN end all, but right. not the one, you know. And, I mean, we don't live in those times anymore, and that's part of it too. So, I mean, I can acknowledge this. I can talk about it, but it's not going to stop me from right. anything. I can, you know, I can sit here and say, like, wow, I don't think I'm going to hear another Sonny Rollins come up in my lifetime. We don't live in those times. I mean, some of it for the good. I mean, those guys work so damn hard because they didn't have a lot of choices in life. They they weren't, ra- you know, raised dirt poor. They came from horrible places in a horrible time in our society, and this was an escape for them, you know. It's it's a different time. I can't really speak too much about that experience, but I know that you know the guys I play with now have much more options. They were raised middle class or better. They went to college. They have better choices. They've been raised to want things. You know, a lot of what came up with those guys, they've had success eventually, but they didn't get into this for like success. They came in this to play music, and music right. was a release from this or this or this and this, and they took it more seriously because it was a release from this, and you know, it was a way to pull themselves out of something. These are the most dead serious guys I've ever dealt with. Even Freddie Hubbard joking around, whatever, he was the most dead serious musician I ever dealt with. You know, and you want to just deal with people who approach things on those levels. You know, they weren't you know, raised on iPhones and Facebook and all these other distractions, and they they were raised on on doing four sets, five sets a night, for six month engagements. They played so much, and we were all in comparison part time musicians. No matter how famous we get, we ain't never touching like the amount of music those guys played. It's just a different life. It's a, just a different thing. It's just a, you know, and it's just reality of the but life we live in. This, this- Despite that description of that like nirvana of music, yeah. it's also the case now that an 18-year-old right now who scarily was born after I graduated from high school, which makes me a little nauseous. But anyway, an 18-year-old who's on the scene right now has access to a wealth of musical information that information. guys in that age couldn't have Yeah, imagined. but it's information. Right, but, but my point is – Which is well, great. If, if, if you can download music from the entire – any music that's ever been put – on any kind of recording, you can now have almost instant access to. If that okay. is the case, then why would you? Why should your vocabulary limits be narrowed to like hard bop or that language? But I mean, why? Why should your ability to succeed in that language be any kind of marker of who you are as a musician? Jazz, you know, a jazz musician. Why? Why do you have to have any of that language in your, in what you do? And again, uh, I'm not necessarily yeah, – no. these are not my own positions. Well, okay, let's take, an analogy, let's take an analogy for any, any other art form or even language. I mean, are you going to speak an entirely new language to me without using the words that already exist? I mean, it's part – I mean, there's two ways to approach it. Like, nothing ever happened or everything has happened. You know, yes, you have the wealth of information on you, but what you don't have is it's all information. I mean, some people I don't even, you know, think they have a clue why they're doing it. I mean, there's got to be something more to it. And and some guys my generation older have been saying a version of this since they've been hearing these young guys. Like, wow, that's all very interesting, you know, but at some point you have to bring it together and make it music. But certainly the guys a generation before you and a generation before them said the same thing, right? I mean, isn't this an endlessly repeated argument about the It's not a curmudgeonly old man thing because – we live in a different world. Yes, I think every generation, as they get older, is like uh, fucking kids again. You know. Right. You know. I mean, and I'm I'm certainly have a version of that too. But again, it's such a different world. Just from what I'm talking about, you know, you know, they might think they're working hard, but they're not. We're just living in a different world. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who come up with a certain natural ability that can hear all that stuff. Like I call it, I compare it between like a Mozart and a Beethoven. Mozart like heard everything and was able to assimilate it all in like two seconds and regurgitate it. Clifford Brown was like that. You know, he, he, he heard a language and it just flowed out of him like magic. Did, did he extend the, did he extend the language that much? No. Did Mozart and it was babies, you know, it was, he just did it, Pulled pulled it together better than anybody else in their time, absorbed all this stuff and and did it better. So and there's that kind of mastery of a thing, and that is what you're sort of talking about: hearing something and absorbing it, and just putting it together faster and better than anybody else around you. And that's a marvel. But this day and age, <laughs> you know, you got to wonder why. You know, just after a while. 
But you can't tell me. Like, I look at people like, let's, I'll just name three. Okay. Vijay Iyer, Tyshawn Sori, and Montana Roberts are three people who I think are, first of all, absolutely steeped in the music from, <clears throat> in some ways, gainsaying the questions I'm asking because they're steeped in the tradition too, I think. Yeah. But people who are living and breathing the music who aren't doing it to get rich, who don't live. Yeah, good. I didn't say we we were alone. I mean, you're you're painting a pretty broad picture of like everybody who's doing it today doesn't know why they're doing it and is here for it. I'm saying that's that's one one of many things. Obviously, there's exceptions. But I think there's more than exceptions. I mean, I think I think there's a whole. I think people there are a whole generation of my my age and younger, and there's now an entire generation of musicians who are you know 15 or 20 years younger than me, who really are super serious about the music. Just maybe not the same exact kind of. Yeah, things it's the serious, but it's again, it's about. a different kind of thing, and you know, we'll see. I mean, the real the real answer with all of this is we'll see. Right? <laughs> you know, it's there's no way to predict or say. I mean, I could just talk about like what the world is and what the world is producing and what the world might have been, and you know, just sure. different times we're living in. I mean, we're living in a different world. One thing I said in the Warriors liner notes is like, you know, everybody's talking about the death knell of jazz again and again and again. And I'm like, no, it's still very live, vital, exciting music. And there's guys trying stuff. And it's interesting. It's interesting. You know, in the 60s, when these guys came up, you know, we were, you know, we were in a world that we should sort of be in now. I mean, people were protesting. I mean, the world was changing. They were trying to change the world, and jazz music of the time reflected that. You know, the screaming, the avant-garde. But that's a huge generalization. Not yes, everybody was trying to change that music. Thing, that's the only way to talk about this stuff is in generalizations. Because I, if we get specific about it, then we're talking about one each individual musician. No, but that this makes it sound like you're. That makes it sound like you're creating this like nirvana of music in the '60s versus what music is now and it's just it's just not fair to to put those things against each other there were a ton of musicians who were just getting high and getting drunk and getting laid and playing music and many of those people we also think made really great music but they weren't there to change the world they were there to play music and they were living a yeah, life which like i'm many talking other about people. like the whole the whole avant-garde movement that happened in the 60s that was all about a complete change a complete divorce of everything that happened before it and it was part of the same kind of reactionary stuff that was going on in the world that's what i'm talking about but that yeah that's but still suggest that that's might have still been getting now. high and playing bebop. Yeah, well, it's not. I mean, how come? I mean, it's it is to a certain point, but it's not part of the same fabric of society. It's not the same to me for VJR to make profound statements on Facebook and play great piano as it is to get out and protest the war every fucking day and and make these you know powerful statements all the time. You know, we don't put ourselves on the line like that. We don't mm-hmm. live in that kind of society. It's just different things. I'm not saying one is better or worse. I'm just saying what happened then for the most part and what's happening now for the most part. You know, it, you know. I guess I'm suggesting that things might be happening outside of the scope of your vision of what's happening. No, because I listen to everything. I know what guys no, you are. Don't. Yes. I don't. I do. There's no possible way you do. I do. Look around. Look around. No, this I mean, a- it's, I listen to everything as a statement I can easily prove false just because yeah. you don't have everything. You, you would have to have a library the size of our planet, right? And you don't have enough hours in your life yeah. to listen to everything. You but listen I- to some incredibly small subsection of everything in the same way that everyone Not else does. Jazz. Not in jazz. In the same way that everyone else does. You just don't have enough time. Yeah, you find a time. The music's always playing. No, I mean, you literally do not, you will not live a long enough life for the statement, I listen to everything to be true. I've listened to many things. Musicians. Most most every musician that come up, I've heard in some context or another. There's not in New York. I mean, not the world. Okay, well, then we've already, yeah, we've already incredibly narrowed the scope down to this city, right? And there's. there's an amazing amount of stuff going on all over the world. I don't care, honestly. Which is fine, but that also that also means that you, it's difficult for you to make really sweeping statements about what's happening in the music. If already we've no, we've narrowed our scope no, down to no, what's see, happening in New York right now. You don't understand. Yeah, first of all, I still think New York is the be end all, and if you're going to play this music now, because of, you know the globalization of jazz or whatever you want to call it. But yes, I've heard most things in some context. Have I heard every CD by every person out here? No, but I listen to every. Thing I've got at, when we play at festivals, there's a million different bands. You know, I'm hanging with people who have that same kind of curiosity, and we talk about stuff. Billy sure. Hart tries to listen to every drummer that's ever like played a note, <laughs> and we talk about the drummers. When I'm trying out bands, I try every musician in New York 
that I think will work for that band. I'm, and I've had them on stage with me in a rehearsal with me, which is how I know what they can do and can't do. Now, that's, that's really to me. And I, and, but I, you know, what I got to that point is because I heard them in another context, heard them on a record, heard them on something. I mean, it's not a lot you know, that's out here on any kind of level, like on a gigging level. If somebody is working, you know, I've heard something by them. You know, that might be a bold statement, but it's going to be really hard to disprove because I am pretty thorough because I'm trying to put together the best bands I can. You know, and I'm also curious about other things going. It's music is a curiosity. You keep listening to it. I listen to music when I'm practicing. I listen to music when I'm car on the road. I mean, you know, you know, there's a gazillion CDs around here. Right. You know, this is half of them. There's another pile like this in the other room. You know, yeah, I'm curious about music. I want to know what people are doing. I've always been curious about music. You know, it's part of it. Part of it is, yeah, you know, part of it sometimes is, yeah, it's all about me. Fuck all this. I'm going to write music. I don't care what anybody else is doing. But part of it, it's music. You love it. You care about it. You know, you want to hear what's going on. You sure. want to hear who's like trying to push it. You want to hear who's running it. You, want, you just want to hear. And, you know, some of the thing is, I mean, it's so broad now, but it's another thing I can bring back to these guys. They've instilled a pride about it. They, this is their music. They came up doing this. This is what gave them an identity, you know, and, and a sound. They created this stuff. Mm. And they're pretty, you know, Freddie Hubbard, you know. I mean, usually his ringing endorsement is like, well, you sound pretty good, <laughs> you know. But when I'm in his house or he's on the phone with me, the TV may be on. He's hanging out in the living room, either fucking around with his horn or just, you know, watching TV or whatever. The radio is always on. Okay, now it's not the best source to hear anything, but the radio is always on to the jazz station. And if you hear something good, he'll turn it up. And then he'll wait to hear who it is, and he'll call me up like, who's, you know, so-and-so, yeah. You know, that's, those guys care. Billy Hart, if he can, like, get one little drum thing that he never heard from, like, some obscure drummer, he doesn't care. I mean, they have a lifelong curiosity about the music. It manifests itself in different ways, you know. But there's a lot of stuff going on here. But I can also tie most of what's going back into to previous eras, previous stuff. Again, it's nothing startlingly new to me. Sure. DJ Iyer's stuff is very interesting to me. I think he's a great player. I, I think Rudrish is a great player. They do some very remarkable things. But I can also sit here, if you give me enough time, I could dig out records from the 60s from European avant-garde rock bands or something that did that shit in 1970-whatever. It's nothing really new. It's, not, it's just... It's not the point. It's not the point for us, at least. You mean we're to just, be new is not the point. We're just trying to play. We should just be trying to play music. Sure. I mean, obviously, you know, people are trying to find angles because it, it's more interesting to the press. It'll get you more attention, you know, and it's easier to write about some weird angle or weird came from this weird instrument, Cuba, India, whatever. It's easier to grab onto something like that, but it's just uh, not that new. It's good. It's interesting. But if we're talking about groundbreaking, innovative, blah, blah, you know, no, I don't, I don't hear it as that. I don't need to hear it as that. But since you, you know, sometimes the argument is forced on me, all I can say is like, it's good. Some of it's very good. Some of it's very interesting. <laughs> so is it, but it's it not like this has changed jazz. This has changed the world. I mean, a lot of the stuff with electronics and whatever else, I mean, they all went through that in the 70s. I mean, my, I mean Miles Davis records in the 70s are source material for a lot of the like new, innovative things that are happening today. Just because you're using, is using a laptop or you're using the, the machinery of today instead of machinery of the 70s doesn't make it new music. It just makes it a new... You found a new toy to make help you get to that point. But the music itself is not any newer than something so i mean it's it's pointless i mean i can discuss it till i'm blue in the face but the point is just to, just to make the best most interesting music you can make and i'm sure that's what's on most of these guys minds you know but just don't tell me it's new because they use the laptop don't tell me it's new because the guy's from somewhere else outside of you. you know just i don't want to hear you know i don't want to hear that you know, I want to hear i just want to hear good music i want to hear music that's going to be interesting to me sure that as an educated musical person who trying to learn everything they possibly can if you can make me raise my eyebrow for a second oh you know that's important to me you know and that's that's the difference so i'll always be listening to stuff you know because it's what helps us stay excited about this stuff you know and that's not gone i'm not saying that died in the 60s that's still here i'm just saying it's just not on the level as that and it's not as shocking as that and it's not we're not in the land of the giants. We're in the land of some very good, interesting people. And that's good enough. 
you know, as long as they keep trying. Is there a potential for new giants, do you think? I don't know. It's it, not not in that way. Again, they have you have too many choices. I mean, a lot of the times you're making a choice, you're making sacrifices in your life to do this. Mm. And there's too many choices now. The sacrifice might not have seemed like the biggest sacrifice to somebody who grew up in a shack in 1950. You know, somebody, you know, now, I mean, even some of the best young musicians I've heard now, they're all doing hip-hop and other stuff, too. You know, or, or even teaching. Some of these guys are taking teaching positions before they're 30. Because they were raised... Well, I mean, like Miles them. went to Juilliard. He didn't grow up in a shack. I mean, he was in a Miles was... You're making the exceptions. Miles grew up... No, I'm just saying, class. if you're going to say Don that Coltrane what fueled grew up all those... shack in South Carolina before he moved to Philadelphia. I'm just saying that if you're going to say what fueled all that greatness was the fact that for these people it was not, not a sacrifice. You're always going to be able to find an exception. That's what makes these, you know, there's always exceptions. Miles Davis, yes, yeah, father was a dentist. He was middle class or better at best. He went to Juilliard for 20 minutes, you know. It wasn't like he had that education, but yes, his parents had enough money. Oh, you want to play music? You're going to go to school. He came up here to go to school and found a better school. He found Charlie Parker and those guys. Right. You know, but yes, there's always exceptions. Not everybody in the 50s was poor. There's not any, you can't put those parameters on anything. There's always going to be exceptions. But in general, most of the cats who came up 40s, 50s, 30s, they came up, you know, Horrible times, horrible play. You know, a lot of these cats came from the South. Texas, Billy Harper, if he told you about North Texas State. Me and him sat there talking about, we both went to North Texas State, and we talked about college one day. And, you know, I thought it was pretty backwards in 1982, but, you know, he showed me a whole other, <laughs> you know. So um, but that's what I'm saying. But here's, here's a very kind, genteel, genteel man, you know, who was put through shit. Sure. But he, he, you know, clearly became one of the best saxophone players who ever lived, you know. Did he, you know, did he have a choice of being a doctor or, or you know, whatever in 19... You know, I don't, you know, that's what I mean. There's more choices now. There's been progress in the world. Yeah. You know, that's part of what created that era of musicians, unfortunately. Right. Socially, but, you know, you know. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm downplaying racism or the conditions yeah. for black musicians in those days. I just, I have an inherent reaction to whenever anyone says everyone or all things yeah or but there's always there's always exceptions there's, there's nothing in the world that doesn't have exceptions we can sit here and find exceptions to anything we say about anything it's true i mean but you got to talk in general terms about eras you know i can't sit here and say okay everybody but miles davis and i don't know so and so you know but you know there's always exceptions but as a general rule, we're living in different times now so, I mean, can another John Coltrane come along? Yeah. I mean, he's got to be oblivious and not care. I mean, I assume there's going to be a reaction to just the world in general. Like, the, you know, after a while, people are going to be sick of having an iPhone glued to their ear, going on Facebook as a way of, of talking to people. Right. You know, that, you know, people, there might be more interaction <laughs> with people, <laughs> you know. So, 
when that happens, I mean, I think that's sort of reflected in the music. In music, a lot of the music we're talking about that's the important music of the day is also a little, you know, maybe too intellectual, maybe a little too cold, maybe not as impassioned, you know, because though we should be caring about a lot that's going on in the world, I mean, you know, you know, if it goes on the way it is now, maybe people will wake up. But you know, there's a lot to be pissed off about out here, but, you know... Other people, and I don't agree with this, who talk more conspiracy theories, we've all been lulled to sleep. You know, blockbuster movies and Facebook and iPhones is all just kind of mean, well, okay, you want to, the banks want to take over everything? Okay, as long as I have my Facebook. You know, right. you know it's just we're in a different time, and I assume there's going to be a, a backlash eventually to that. And Yeah, I've talked to people who, you know, we've said, until you go to the store to get food and there isn't food there. Yeah. Right now, if you can still turn on your TV and have your Doritos and everything, yeah. it doesn't seem like a crisis to a lot of people. And yeah. obviously, now I'm doing exactly what I was just moaning about. I'm generalizing because there are millions of people for whom that is not the case. Right. Um, but until a large percentage of people you know, are right. waiting in bread lines or whatever, it yeah, seems like. Yeah, until our internet is down. It, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm just saying exactly. there's, there's, you know, we're in an interesting place in the world now. And whatever happens, you know, I, you know music is usually tied to it somehow mm. so whatever that backlash will be maybe it'll create something musically you know it'll come out of a different place sure like I mean and do I don't know how many angry young men there are you know I was the kind of pissed off kid but I don't see a lot of that in young guys they have they're, they're good kids they work hard they practice whatever but I don't see this you know like you know general anger towards society I want to change the world I want to do this and I'm screaming it out of my instrument you know which is part of what attracted me to the other stuff sure you know so do you think and i'm kind of asking you to crystal ball here a little bit but do you think it is more likely that were another giant to walk the earth that it would be using a vocabulary or musical language that we are not talking about right now it's hard to imagine but i mean it's clearly possible i mean you know i just mean if the other stuff is if the if a series of giants have already reach the summit yeah. in the language that we're currently using. Yeah, but that's the beauty about the part, even though most of them are missing, about this still just like trying to divorce themselves from all that and come mm. up with a new language. Sure. But, you know, music is a combination of more things than that, you know. Okay, so the the ultimate reaction to music school, which may be happening already, you know, first we didn't have music school, then we sort of had music school, then we had 500 music schools. <laughs> and me, me and Freddie Hubbard used to have this argument about that a lot, like on radio interviews we do together. And my thing would be sort of like, well, you know, if they're going to get it, they're going to get it. And Freddie's like, no, nah, no, nah, you know, it's not, it just won't work that way, you know. And I'm starting to agree with him more. And I think the backlash to that... It's like I'm going to school to learn a certain way. I'm going to, okay, I'm going to learn this language. I'm going to learn to do this. I'm going to learn to do this. But in school, they're not saying, get with a master, get in a band, learn how to, you know, you know, they're not teaching you how to be a band leader. So there's like, now there seems to be some guys with a vision, musically, as composers, you know, as players. But I don't know if I see it as a complete vision as a band leader. Can they take, I mean... Are people just writing their code? This is, you know, him coming in. This is my tune. This is how I play. Now play with me. Or is it like, okay, I'm going for a, you know, you do this and you do that. And, you know, I don't know if I hear that as much as just like the strength of one person's vision. Like, this is how I play. This is my music. And that's why we'll have to see where VJ Iyer and Jason Moran go. I mean, well, Bandwagon's been around for a while and they've certainly come a long way. Um, because ultimately it's about the bands. I mean, if it's about your vision and, you know, it's about getting the guys not to just play your music but find a way to expand it and grow with it. And that's what I mean. It's going to be interesting to see. Can you say more about that? Because as, as you say that, I think of the people that you've already mentioned, the, you know, Freddie's, Miles, Coltrane, yeah. you know, Mingus, Ellington, these guys who had who had an absolute vision. I mean, who, the, the kind of people that we always say you can tell in one note or one chord or four yeah. bars. It's but them. they also move. And you've got to think... The other th- interesting thing is as as fast as the world moves now technology-wise, how we're going so quickly through all these things, how slow the music is moving. Bandwagon's been together 10 years. They're a great band. It's been 10 years. It's not like yesterday anymore. You know, in 10 years, Miles Davis went from, you know, 
A from Bebop to, you know, kind of blue, from kind of blue to bitches brew. In 10 years, John Coltrane recorded almost everything he, re- he recorded, right? right? So that's, um, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I mean, they, but that has to do with those times, them working, you know, four sets a night, six weeks at a time, six sure. months at a time. You know, there, that was part of the, you know, energy of that time. And I don't know, I don't know what we talk about the energy of our time, what he, that even is, you know, or what, yeah. what time we're even in or something. Um, but anyway, back to the musical thing, school thing. So now I guess there's an inevitable backlash against music. So you go to a music school, say, okay, play like this. The scale works over this chord. You know, this guy, listen to this solo, transcribe this solo. This is how this, this is how you do this, this is how you do this. And then, you know, I would imagine if I was in that situation, I'd be like, okay, how can I mess with this? Okay, this is what they do, you know. And it's weird. They don't have as much. I've substitute taught sometimes, and I've challenged them, like, your teacher's wrong here. Tell me why. You know, have you really listened to this tune? He made a mistake in the chord. Listen to it, you know. You know, don't let him get away with that. Don't let him get away with that. And they're like, well, no, he's right. Like, you know, so it's, <coughs> it's interesting. But I, I imagine there should be a backlash to it, you know. Um, and then they're going to go like, okay, I'm going to ignore all that stuff they're forcing down my throat in school. They're all doing it. There's 5,000 people in music school right now learning the same scales and modes and Coltrane solos and this and this. I'm not having any of that, um, which is good. But again, then we're back to the one in a million with the vid, you know. But it, at least that's an atmosphere I like. Like, yeah, well, show me something different. You think you know, you know. So, I mean, the other thing is school is giving, you know, and I think that's a generational thing. I forgot what movie I just saw it in. We were talking about, like, how kids today have just, just unbelievable confidence without. I think with Bill Maher's statistic, it was like their 38th, you know, in the world, and they had their number one confidence wise, <laughs> right. you know. <laughs> So you go to music school, you learn all this stuff, you know it, and you come to New York like, all right, I know everything, you know? And you're like, oh, jeez. Um, but again, there should be a, uh, there'll be a backlash to it, whatever that is. Whatever. This can't be forever. I know we're in a different world now where things happen so fast. When I grew up, it was like upswings and downswings, upturns, downturns, slow business, big business. And now it's like booming or nothing. Like, it's over. Right. Like, you know, if something's not, you know, it's not, there's no such thing as a downswing and it'll come back. It's just like, get rid of it, you know. So, I imagine still there'll be backlashes to this, the whole, you know, technology. What, whatever it is, something is going to come around. I hope I'm still around to see it. Because, I mean, music always is going to have infinite possibilities. It's just how it's going to manifest with these with these people. I think you've said this already, but I want to make you say it again, which is, can you talk about, given everything you've just said, can you talk about what it is that, like, makes you get up in the morning to play your trumpet and and go out there and... Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Trumpet's hard. (laughs) That's definitely not what makes me... Trumpet makes me curse every day. Um... Well, it's it's an up and down thing. I mean, and that's part of the thing about it. Yeah, I can wake up every morning and walk over to the piano, and some days I'll start writing for four hours, and some days I'll play for twenty minutes and blah blah, you know. And now musicians of today were also more in, 
ingrained, I guess, in the business of it. So, I mean, I have to, like, make phone calls about gigs and about the sure. band and coordinating stuff. And then we have to learn the thing, like, okay, you call up some asshole and he offers you $20 for your band or they don't want, you know, cookers, who cares about, you know, those, you know. You know, so you have, like, a series, you know, the, the arts is always about rejection. Okay, Meryl Streep, you know, doesn't get all the parts she wants. She gets to go home to a $20 million mansion, maybe. <laughs> but she gets rejection. You know, arts is about rejection. And, and so part of it is about how to deal with that. Everybody gets a version of it. So, you know, if I make... I mean, I remember asking an agent once, like, you know, I made four calls today, and they all said no to, like, really good stuff. And she said, well, stop making phone calls. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know, it's, you don't want that taking over your day. And that's a possibility if, you know, like more and more of us are out there trying to solicit gigs for ourselves, find teaching position, whatever it is, and everybody's going, no, no, no. And you know better. Um, how motivating is that to pick up your instrument after that and be creative and like, oh, music's wonderful. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, there's a lot of other factors involved these days. I mean, you know, that's the other thing about this globalization you know and you know i guess you know bigger guys have management whatever to deal with that but even so i mean the pressures of that i've seen that with freddie hubbard i knew used to know when i got him to a town when we were touring that he needed to take a nap he's 60 whatever years old he needs to take a nap because trumpet's physical and when he you know he wasn't at his peak of his powers anymore he really needed some sleep if he slept all day we would piss off every journalist in the town who wanted to interview him before the concert. You know, no, 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 he's got to make himself... Uh, it's like, he needs to, you know, we got to work tonight. You know, nobody looks at it as work, per se, but I mean, you know. So, I mean, there's various other things that pull and drag on you, and I think that's the stuff that takes guys like, you know, that, you know, just drains them. Sure. You know, I've seen even with younger guys, when they first get attention, like, I can't just be in that zone all day and then get on stage and do my thing i got to talk to someone so and so so it's an interesting thing I mean I used to always try like Freddie will be available all night after the concert at the bar you could talk to him and do all the interviews in the world no 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 we do it so I mean there's those kind of things but yeah I mean so no part of that answer contained what makes you want to keep doing it those yeah, are that's, all reasons that's, that's to stop doing that's, it but, that, <laughs> but I still do it so I'm, so I guess I'm basically saying my question is why um I don't know. I don't know. I mean, because it's too late to become a doctor, or I mean, no. I mean, it's, it's it's, I can't now, imagine or? doing anything else. I mean, trumpet is already kind of a precarious thing. I mean, it's and it's, I don't give it a thought that my lip might explode one day like Freddie's and have to, you know, you know, seriously think about, you know, because I'm not going to get by on my name for the next forty years. Um, so no, I mean, I do. I'm a musician. You know, it's what. I mean, that's just you know, an un, hopefully an undeniable fact. Um, sometimes we just shouldn't think about things <laughs> really <laughs> I mean when all said and done you know really if we sat here and thought about why we did it in this day and age sometimes we'd all you know it's just yeah you know so It'd sometimes it's young suicide pact yeah. well <laughs> maybe it's possible <laughs> but I mean yeah I definitely don't need to think about why I'm doing this sure it's, it's just better to just go ahead and do it unfortunately most days it's fine I mean you know the thing about trumpet too is also a very physical thing even if I'm not motivated that way, like it's not the most creative day on there. If I can't change the world today writing this or, you know, I still have to do like two or three hours of physical calisthenic kind of things on the instrument to maintain myself to have the ability to the next day when I have the gig to be at the peak of my powers. So it never, it never goes away. Yeah. I mean, J.J. Johnson, you know, like two years before he died, said, I'm done. I'm trombone. I'm done with it. And, I mean, I, I, we talked about it once. I've talked to him on the phone a couple of times. And I think I also saw it in print. They're like, yeah, you're J.D. Johnson. You're the greatest trombone player who probably ever lived. <laughs> you know, certainly one of the two or three best alive or ever, or whichever version of that you want to use. Right. How can you? He's like, this, I have to work, do two to three to four hours of maintenance on the instrument every day to maintain myself to the level I need to be to do 40 performances a year. I just, I can't do it anymore. I'm done. I've, I've, I've done, I'm 70 whatever years right. old. It doesn't seem fair that I have to practice this much every day to maintain my amateur and my wind and everything to be the best I can be at these performances and I'm not going to be anything less than that. 
I mean, I don't still don't agree with that. But how can you say, all right, sure, <laughs> you know, <laughs> of course, man, shit, you're 70, whatever, you know, you work hard, everybody else retires, you know, why not? Yeah. But, um, so, I mean, that's just what, I don't know, I'm sort of a backwards way of saying it's just a no-brainer. It's what we do. It's the music's in my head all the time. Like, you know, I, I don't, I got no choice, really. And does it make you happy? <laughs> I don't mean the whole totality um, of it, but... Are there still moments for I you guess that the are... best thing I can say is when it's one of my when it's mostly I mean music's a little self-centered um, there's certain moments on stage with certain bands where there literally chills up my spine and you can't you know and there's nothing that can replace that you know, with my octet, it was a certain thing I wrote or something that came off so well. You just, you know, um, with the cookers, actually, you know, I remember last year we kind of did a Lee Morgan tribute instead of a cookers thing, you know, because we bring Benny Maupin in. So it's like the two tenor players that were in Lee's band at the end. We played that material from Live at the Lighthouse and that last record, which is mostly the material from the group. And that group was, you know, one of those great working bands that kind of was changing stuff. And uh, we're playing one of these modal absolutions or nomo, one of these just basically 70s-type modal tunes. And Harper is blowing, and Christian McBride was playing that night, and Victor Lewis, and it was just building and building over this long solo till it was just like, you know, literally. And I'm just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know, and, and you, know, <laughs> you know, I haven't even taken a drug that did that, you know. So, I mean, there are those moments. They're fleeting moments, and are those moments worth everything who the hell knows but, <laughs> um, but I mean that's what you're trying to get to every night and that's the penultimate of that you know I can't say I have shivers up my spine every night but there's still some pretty damn good nights on top of that especially with the cookers or you you know sometimes more with my band because it's my band I mean the cookers is sort of my band but it's a band you know and it's it's those guys I created an you know an atmosphere I've created a world you know for them to do their thing you know, to the best, I can create the best world possible for them. So it's them. <laughs> so I can step outside of that and go like, wow, what a great band. Those guys are <laughs> great, man. Look at them. Um, so when it's my band, it's a certain thing that, has, you know, so, I mean, it's different. That's what I mean about also with being two different things, like, you know, the historic thing and me trying to do my own thing. When sure. My, when it's my own thing and it's successful, it's it's, you know, it's a lot. I mean, you know. It's it's more of a I don't know feeling of an accomplishment a different kind of accomplishment I guess I mean there's an accomplishment getting those guys together just to begin with and to get them to play for four years that's a whole other, you know yeah absolutely my guest is David Weiss and uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you again thanks for being back on the show sure thanks.
That's music from the Cookers and their album Cast the First Stone. Don't forget, be the first person to send an email to contest at thejazzsession.com with Cookers in the subject line, and you can win a CD signed by all the members of the band. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free at thejazzsession.com and also in iTunes using an RSS reader and all of those links, as well as links to follow the show on Twitter and to follow its Facebook page. All of those links are available at thejazzsession.com. Now, if you would, please become a member and then get out and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye.